You're listening to another life-transforming message from Awakened Church with campuses in San Diego and Salt Lake City. To find out more about us, go to awakenedchurch.com. So I think in, in this time, 2020, 21, 2022, there's a lot of things happening. And there's a lot of things that happen in secret that happen in stealth. I just need you to understand the word occult means covered or hidden. Covered or hidden. One of the, the things about the devil, one of the things about the devil and cowards is they, they, never, they never reveal what they're up to. They do everything behind the scenes. They do everything in covert. Covert's where we get the word cover, cover with a T. And coven, occult, all that kind of stuff. So the word of the Lord came to me the other day, and he said to me, Jürgen, America is like Samson. America right now is like Samson. And the globalists are the Philistines that have paid money to, offered money to Delilah, which is the Democrats, the rhinos, just in case you think I'm just pro-Republican. I have a whole bunch of text messages and I just call them out all the time because they want money. And I'm like, fix 2020 and I'll think about giving. And I uh, just want you to know rhinos, no good. We don't need, we don't need rhinos. I'm not even into the, just the Republicans. I'm into patriots. And I don't care which side they're on. I don't care which side they're on. It's patriots. So, so if you know the story, the Philistines hired Delilah. Delilah was, in, was an inside, insider, trusted by Samson. And the entire objective was to locate Samson's strengths. Because if, if, if they could take away Samson's strength, which they did, then they were able to take away his vision. First thing they did when the Spirit of the Lord left him, when his strength left him, was they bored out both of his eyes. They were able to take out his vision and they were able to remove his mantle of his mission as a deliverer of God's people. And America carries a vision that our founding fathers had. No other nation has elevated more human beings out of poverty than the United States of America. Let me just do a little bit of education while I'm prophesying. Um, if you meet somebody that is right into socialism over capitalism, and if you go to any of our universities and colleges, that's, you just need to understand that nothing has bankrupted and destroyed more human lives. Nothing has created more misery and poverty in the last hundred years than socialism. And nothing has elevated more people out of poverty than capitalism. So just, so when people hype up and talk this, this stuff, they're, they're, they're just parrots regurgitating what they heard. Now listen, socialism always works brilliantly in the classroom, terribly in the marketplace, but brilliantly in theory, brilliantly up on a board. It doesn't work in the real world, but we've got to deal with real world issues with real world problems. Somebody say amen. And so the, the strength of America is her constitution. The seven locks of Samson's hair 
is the American Constitution. The American Constitution, Constitution champions you to have liberty, the pursuit of happiness, that there would be equal justice under the law, whether you're wealthy, whether you're poor. Whether you were born with nobility or have no nobility whatsoever, there's meant to be equal justice under the law. That was the vision. That was the dream. That's the promise of the Constitution. The promise of the Constitution is that you could pursue the American dream, which, which entails you owning property. That, that there is, uh, without representation, there's no taxation. The taxation and representation go hand in hand. In other words, what that basically means that if the government extracts some of your hard-earned wealth, that they are responsible and accountable to you. It's been taken away. When you look at California and you look at a lot of the blue states, that they, they spend billions, they print trillions without any accountability. That's the age that we're living in. This, this is very, very, very important because there is an agenda. It's a globalist agenda that by the year 2030, you will own nothing. It's the World Economic Forum. The World Economic Forum wants you to understand that there's an agenda and they're using COVID. They're using COVID to execute this agenda that by the year 2030, you will own nothing and you'll be very happy. Now, it's very interesting. The guy who says this is a guy called Klaus Schwab, who is German. And so I have to say it in a German accent. By 2030, you will own nothing, and you'll be very happy. You will own nothing, you'll be very happy. The other option is you'll be shot. <laughs> because let me just tell you something. If you study history, which we always encourage, the people who own nothing are called peasants. Do you know what the value of the life of a peasant was? Nothing. Why? Because they owned nothing. Do not be fooled into thinking that if I own nothing, somehow my life value will improve. So right now, America is Samson. Delilah, corrupt politicians, are in bed with the Philistines, the globalists, trying to take away America's power. And we may say, well, they, they kind of have done that. They're, they've, you know, they've... Uh, put into the Oval Office an illegitimate president who did not win 2020. Did not win. Did not win. He did a speech on Monday, Martin Luther King Day. Barely had a thousand views. Trump two years ago had 42 million views. The guy did not get 81 million votes legitimately. So they've put into power... And they may be shaving off the locks. Power may be leaving. But the beautiful story is the hair on Samson's head grew back. And I felt the word of the Lord come to me and said, in 2022, we will see the rise of the patriots. We will see the rise of the defenders of the republic. We will see the rise. Because the hair on Samson's head grew back and the spirit of the Lord came upon him and he took down and the Bible says there were more of the Philistines destroyed in his death than there was in his entire life. So that was the, that was the word of the Lord. So just so you know what's going on. Amen. Amen. All right. Come with me in your Bible. Psalm 89 verse 14. Psalm 89 verse 14. I'm going to do this. And uh, you know, there, there are plenty of churches that aren't political. There are plenty of churches that are woke. 
And uh, you don't have to come to Awaken, but in Awaken, we're going to live up to our name, our job, our assignment is to awaken people. And uh, I'd rather know the giant I'm facing and have an awareness of what I'm facing and recognize that Goliath isn't the biggest man in the valley. My God is bigger. David didn't look at Goliath. He said, you come against me, but with your sword and your spear, but I come against you in the name of the Lord of hosts, whose armies you... David saw that the giant in the field wasn't the Goliath. The giant in the field was the Lord Almighty. Our God is bigger. Our God is greater. He's a God that responds to prayer. He's a God that is greater. Come on, somebody. He's a God of power. He's a God of mercy. He's a God that hears our prayers. And we will prevail. Somebody say amen. And it's important that we prevail because I'm telling you, when I look at the other nations, they're folding like deck chairs. Although England pushed back. England pushed back, so I'm not sure if you saw today, they, 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 they got rid of all their masks and vaccine mandates and vaccine passports. And that's only, that was only to save their neck because the people, the Tories, said, this ain't happening. And, uh, and so people were, were defying the government, not wearing masks and not saying you can blow it out your shorts as far as uh, vax mandates go and everything. And so they, they realized they were in a lot of hot water because the power has never left the people. And the people that are in Washington, D.C. and the people that are in Sacramento are there at our behest. They, they are there. We don't serve them. They're meant to serve us. And if they don't serve us, then we kick them out. The power is in we the people. We the people. We the people. Somebody say amen. Amen. All right. Psalm 89 verse 14 says, Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Mercy and truth go before your face. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Mercy and truth go before your face. The title of my message tonight is A Biblical Theophany. A biblical theophany. What do I mean? What's a theophany? A theophany is when somebody has an experience with God, like has a, has a revelation of God, has an encounter with God that changes everything in their life. It's called a theophany. Theophany. People have an epiphany. means they had this, oh my gosh, I had this come to moment, I had this awakening moment, I had this, that's called an epiphany. But a theophany is where God is Revealed to somebody. And tonight I want to give you a biblical theophany. A biblical theophany. I love this, this verse, Psalm 89 verse 14. Because it says that righteousness and justice are the foundation of God's throne. The two things the enemy has gone after in America and in the world is to take away, God, take away righteousness and remove justice. We see innocent people having SWAT teams arrive at 6 a.m. with CNN tipped off to film the thing, while people that are in pedophile rings getting completely scot-free. Because Lane Maxwell just, you know, was guilty of five out of six. And if, if, if your elevator doesn't make it all the way to the top floor, you will believe, oh, well, justice was done. Justice wasn't done. Because if someone is trafficking underage girls, there must be someone they're trafficked to. But it's interesting that James Comey's daughter was the one presiding over it and made sure to block and have it all covered and have it all sealed up so that we don't know who the girls were trafficked to. We do know that Bill Clinton flew on Epstein's private Lolita Express and went to this 
island over 26 times. We know that Prince Albert, we know that a number of high, Bill Gates, or Prince Andrew, excuse me, we know that a number of the, the, the high-level officials went there, but it's all sealed. And we have this delusion, oh, well, justice was done. We live in an age where the wicked don't want justice because justice is the foundation of God's throne and they don't want God to rule in America. That you better believe they are ticked when you proclaim and when we declare that we are one nation under God. They want to remove that. You'll see that in their... their, their, their um, their, their meetings that they won't acknowledge God, they won't uh, confess God, they won't say one nation under God, they want to get rid of in God we trust on our money. The battle that we have is not a political one. It may be fought in areas of the political arena, but the battle that we're fighting is a spiritual one because there are forces in this world that do not want God to be Lord. They want to be Lord. They want to replace God. They want to remove God. So righteousness and justice are the foundation of God's throne. And then the Bible says this, that mercy and truth go before him. Mercy and truth go before him. If you have all mercy and no truth, you don't have God. If you have all truth and you don't have mercy, you don't have God. Mercy and truth go before him. The Bible says in the gospel of John that, that the law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So love without truth is not God. That's the woke gospel. That's the woke gospel. Here's the problem with the woke gospel. The woke gospel says, you know, God is gracious. God is loving. Doesn't matter what you do. Doesn't matter who you are. God loves you. And we will literally run alongside people as they're careering towards hell, telling them God loves you. You don't need to change. You don't need to repent. Oops. Oh. Because oh. we didn't tell them the truth. And then we have the other side where we have the truth speakers, but there's no love. The truth speakers where we have, when we first moved here, I, I encountered this. And again, just because I'm already probably offending people, let me just, <laughs> while I'm on a roll. I personally have a real problem with Calvinism. When we first moved here, uh, we were seeing a number of miracles, mainly because, for whatever reason, San Diego church pastors decided we'd rather have a crowd on Sunday than the power of God turn up. And uh, we didn't care about a crowd. We wanted people to have an encounter with power. And uh, so we began to see some miracles, and we began to see some people healed. And one little boy who was on basically on life support, they said, if you know, he's brain dead, he's, it's the machines keeping him alive, and... Uh, Pastor Summer's husband prayed for this little boy. They unplugged the thing, and instead of flatlining, he went <gasps> and started breathing by himself. That little boy is a teenager today running around alive uh, when the doctors were like, wow, we thought he was dead and he's alive. Almost one year later to the day, I got a phone call from friends, actually, of, of John and Becky's who had a friend... Uh, have their little boy fall into a pond and drown and was in the, uh, the Scripps Hospital down here, the, uh, excuse me, Rady's Children. It was Rady's Children's Hospital. So I raced down there 
and it's the same hospital. I get it to the floor. It's the same floor. It's the same ward. It's almost the same bed. It was like deja vu. I walk in and here's this little boy on a life support system. And it was like, oh my gosh, this is a repeat of what we just went through a year ago. It was like, it was like surreal. And, uh, and so, you know, there's people weeping and crying and, and I felt the Holy Spirit say to me, if you will, if you will clear out the room of all the people that don't have any faith, clear them out. You pray and I'll raise the little boy up. And I said, oh, excuse me, everybody. I'm a pastor. I'm friends of these guys who are friends of the family. Um, they've asked me to come and pray. I'm going to pray and believe God for a miracle. If, if you don't, for whatever reason, believe that God can do a miracle today, would you just, just you know, honor God? Just step into the hallway for five or ten minutes. Just give me five or ten minutes. You know, I was trying to be courteous. I thought, you know, a little bit of pressure, five to ten minutes to raise the dead. But I'm thinking... <laughs> It's no problem to God. And so I said, just step into the hall and I'll, I'll pray for the little boy. And, and I'll never forget people just like, Phew. I thought, my gosh, how rude. And then the Holy Spirit said, you know, do it again. So I did it again. I said, excuse me, everybody. I said, you might not have heard me. I said, I'm a pastor. Uh, I want to pray for the little guy. He needs a miracle. If you don't believe, would you? And two or three people walked out and the rest kind of hung in there. And the Holy Spirit's like, that person's got no faith. That person's got no faith. That person's got no faith. I'm like, dear goodness. And so I thought, man, what do I do? And I just prayed for a little boy that had a massive tumor about six months earlier. And it was inoperable. And, uh, and I remember, I'm like, God, like, what do I do? It was one of our Navy SEALs contacted me. This was a, a Navy family that didn't go to our church, <clears throat> but they needed a miracle. And I remember just, just, the Holy Spirit said, just pray in tongues. And the Holy Spirit's your helper. He says, pray in tongues till you feel power. <clears throat> and so I said to this family, I said, listen, I said, <clears throat> you probably know my name's German. They're like, yeah, we're trying to figure out Jürgen. I said, oh, it's Jürgen. And so I'm doing, you know, I just said, would you, would you be upset if I pray for, would you be upset if I pray for him in German? They're like, oh, no. And I said, okay. I said, listen, I said, I'll be honest with you. It may not be German. They're like, what is, and I said, it might I don't know what language, but I'm just, and so I just like, so I just start praying until I feel power. Because let me, let me tell you, like I'm, I'm kind of smart enough to know that I'm, I don't have some like super insight onto praying the magical formula with the right words, the right adjectives, pronoun. It's, it's got nothing to do with my prayers. It has everything to do with his power. Yeah. A woman came behind Jesus, touched the hem of his garment. Jesus stopped and said, who touched me? I felt power. He didn't pray for her. He wasn't even aware. But a woman touched him in power. You need power for a miracle. So, so it, it was awkward because the nurses are looking at me. The doctors are looking at me. And I'm like, my Navy SEAL friend is looking at me. I'm like, oh, dear God, how long? Please, please don't let this be long. It was like three minutes later, you know, finally I felt in my hands. And so I put my hand on the little boy and overnight the, tr the, the tumor, which was uh, so big that it was in his uh, kidneys, it was attached to his liver and had gone up into his lungs completely shrunk and all the tentacles so that it was the size of a, of a golf ball they would do this tiny little incision and remove it they'd never seen anything like it overnight so so that was just a few months earlier so I know I know when God can do a miracle so so the Holy Spirit says let's let's go let's go plan B they're not leaving let's go let's pray for power 
So I, I stand in the corner. So there's the wall there and there's a wall there. So I just stand in the corner. I thought, you know, I don't have to do the offend people thing. So I just stand in the corner. I'm just like, and as I'm praying, some, somebody grabs my arm, says, hey, you're speaking in tongues. I said, yeah, yeah. And they're like, Bible says you shouldn't speak in tongues unless it's an interpreter. I said, buddy, that says in the church. I says, we're not in church. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 14 that he who speaks in a tongue doesn't speak to men. He speaks to God. Indeed, with his spirit, he utters mysteries. I ain't talking to you, so you don't need an interpretation. It's none of your beeswax. I'm talking to God right now. So then, then he says to me, I'm the father of this little boy. And let me tell you, if God wanted to raise him up, he would have did it when we pulled him out of the pond. If God was going to give him his life back, he would have done it when we were waiting for the ambulance. If God was going to raise him from the dead, he would have done it when we were in the ambulance on the way to the hospital. This is the will of God. This is the will of God. And as he said that, his wife, his beautiful wife, threw herself over her little boy as he lay there with his little little belly all swollen from the water that had filled his lungs. And she threw herself on her boy and she says, God, I don't know why you did this, but I know it's for your glory. And then the Holy Spirit spoke to me as clear as anything and says, this is why I'm sent you to San Diego. This is the perverted and distorted picture they have of me. Let me just tell you something. <clears throat> Let me tell you something. God has no glory shortage in heaven that he has to trip little children into ponds and then make sure nobody rescues them so they drown and then watch mums and dads scream to him for help, ignoring their pleas to watch them suffering because Gabriel, oh yeah, this gives me glory. That's not the God of the Bible. That's the devil. That's not the God of the Bible. That's the devil. Anybody that revels in the pain and the dysfunction. And so it's very, very important that you and I have a biblical theophany. So now come with me into our main text tonight in the book of... The book of Exodus chapter 33, verse 12. Exodus chapter 33, verse 12. Exodus 33, verse 12 is very interesting because I, need, I want to teach you something tonight because this is very important for you to understand. This will set you up. That, that God is a God of love, but he's also a God of truth. In fact, God doesn't have love, as pastor said tonight. God, God doesn't do love. God is love. God is love. But God is also truth. The Bible calls him the God of truth in Romans 15, 13. Jesus says in John 16, when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will remind you of everything. And then Jesus in John 14 said, I am the way, the truth. So the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are all truth. So God is truth and he's also loving. He is not one or the other. He's both simultaneously. He's both simultaneously. Whenever God has spoken to me, even with a rebuke, it's been loving with truth. The truth has come. It's hit me between the eyes, but it's always come in a spirit of love. 
I've discovered if I receive God's truth, I become a bene beneficiary of his love. If I reject God's truth, I find that I also reject his love. Let me just say this. There is a heaven and there is a hell. Heaven is a place of reward. It's a place of joy. It's a place, the Bible says, that heaven is, is the reward of those who believe in him. Those who receive him, he gives everlasting life. Hell is a place of punishment and judgment. Let me just say this, just in case some of you are wondering, how could a loving God send people to hell? The first thing you need to understand is hell is even God being loving. And let me explain why. Because hell is the place where God has removed his presence. God has removed his presence. That's what makes it hell. The Bible says in Matthew 25 that hell was not created for human habitation. God never, God never designed a human being to go to hell. Jesus said, depart from me, you wicked, you evildoers, to the fire, to hell, prepared for the devil and his angels. It was never prepared for mankind. It was always pre prepared for the devil and his angels. Hell is the place where people who hate God, who don't want anything to do with God, end up and God gives them what they want okay you want a place where where you don't have to do fine I will remove my presence but but if you would have read this if you would have discovered truth you would have, you would have found my love because my love and truth say that in my presence is fullness of joy so because hell has none of my presence there's not fullness of joy there's pain there's suffering there's torment because the bible says that god is light and in him there is no darkness you will find because god has withdrawn himself from this place it is full of darkness it is full of chaos it is full of because in heaven there's joy there's pleasures at his right hand forevermore hell has no pleasure it is full of weeping it is full of gnashing of teeth it is full of torment hell is a place you don't want to go to and let me tell you Jesus died on a cross so that nobody needs to go to hell in fact till your last breath God will be pursuing you in his love he will be chasing you down to make sure that you don't end up in a place where he isn't somebody say amen so in Exodus 33, verse 12, it says, basically what's happened is Moses has come down from the mountain with the Ten Commandments. He hasn't even reached the bottom and, and, and all the people are, hey, yeah, yeah, hey, yeah, yeah, hey, yeah, yeah. They've made golden calves and they're bowing down and worshiping and they're running around in their knickers. And, and Moses is like, what the? I haven't even got, I've been gone 40 days. And Aaron's like, ah, oh, people gave me their earrings and I threw it in a, this is what came out. And just a mess. So Moses breaks the Ten Commandments, which is a prophetic message. And then God's like, now what? You've got to come back up. So he's got to come back and God's got to write new ones. Same laws, but new tablets. And he's got to come back down. And so, so Moses is like, God, these people. So the Bible says Moses is just done. He's just done. And then there's counseling because there's all this mess. So the Bible says Moses takes his tent and he takes it far from the camp. He's like, you guys can all, I'm being honest. 
You ask anyone who's been pastoring for a little while, there are moments there, that's your gesture. And so he takes his tent. And the Bible says he takes his tent far from the camp. Exodus 33, 7. And he pitches it there. And, and he just begins to, to fellowship with God. So important if you're a leader, your quiet time. That there is nothing of a higher priority to Pastor Leanne and I than time with God. If we don't spend time in God's presence, we have nothing to give you. The most important thing is, is you need pastors that are with God. So Moses goes and he gets with God. And the Bible says that the glory would come down. The Bible says and each man when they would look, they would see the glory of God come down and descend upon the tent. The Bible says the whole camp, the, 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 the atmosphere in the camp would shift. That's why, that's why the, the devil is infuriated with awakened church. Because we're, we're not building buildings to have church services. We're building altars where people can seek God and encounter God and connect with God. Because the Bible says the whole atmosphere would shift where each man would stand with his wife and his children in their tent door and worship as Moses brings the glory onto his tent. And the Bible says, and God would speak to Moses face to face as a man would speak to his friend. Then Moses, because he was the boss, had to go back to his duties. But the Bible says the young man Joshua would linger in the presence of God. Caleb was the anointed one. Caleb was the preacher. Caleb was the prophetic. Caleb was the strong leader. But Joshua lingered in the presence of God. So when it came time for a successor to Moses, God says it's real simple. It's the guy who loves my presence. Yeah, but he's so gifted. Guy who loves my presence. Yeah, but he's the preacher. Guy who loves my presence. Yeah, but he's a, he's a boss leader. He, the guy who... So now God says to Moses in the, in the tabernacle meeting, he says, listen, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I made a promise to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob. I'm going to give you the promised land, but I'm not coming, I'm not coming along for the ride. And Moses is like, why, why aren't you coming? He goes, don't worry. I'm going to send my, my angel will go ahead of you. I'll make sure he'll take his sword. Whoosh, whoosh, whoosh. He'll wipe out all the enemies, but I, I ain't coming. And I'll tell you why I ain't coming. Because these people are jacked up. And if I come into their midst, I'll consume them in a moment because they're a stiff-necked people. And Moses goes, God, I don't want an angel. I want you. And unless you come, I ain't taking them up. And God's like, what? He's like, unless you go with us, don't even bother. But then... You have to tell me what I'm going to tell to all the nations when they say, wow, he could get them out of Egypt, but he wasn't mighty enough to get them into the promised land. You tell me then what I'm going to tell all the other nations that you're a God that can get us out of, but you can't, you can't get us into. Verse 12. The Moses said to the Lord, see, you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name. And you found grace in my sight. Now, therefore, I pray, if I have found this grace in your sight, show me now your way that I may know you and that I may find grace in your sight and consider that this nation is your people. So God says, all right, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And then Moses says to him, if your presence does not go with us, don't bring us up from here. 
For how then will it be known that your people and I have found grace in your sight except you go with us? So we shall be separate, your people and I, from all the people upon the face of the earth. So the Lord said to Moses, I will also do this thing that you have spoken. For you have found grace in my sight and I know you by name. And then he says, please, verse 18, Moses says to God, please show me your glory. He has no idea what he's asking, but he's on a roll. It's like the art of negotiation, the art of the deal. He's already got him from like, I'll send an angel. All right, angel, get back. I'll go. I'll go with you. I'll provide. Yeah, I'll, I'll do it. And then Moses is like, oh, man, this is working out better than I thought. All right. Uh, one other thing. Show me your glory. Let me just tell you, in this church, we know we're doing our jobs right if you're asking God difficult things. If you're just asking God simple things, we're failing. If you're asking God difficult things. So Moses says, please show me your glory. And I love God. God's just like, man, I love this kid. He says, all right. I will make my, watch this, goodness pass before you. And I will proclaim, I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. I will be gracious to whom I'll be gracious and have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he said to him, you can't see my face for no man can see me and live. And the Lord said, here is a place by me. You shall stand on the rock and so it shall be. When my glory passes by, while my glory passes by, that I will put you into the cleft of the rock and I will cover you with my hand while I pass by. Then I will take away my hand and you'll be able to see my back, my face shall not be seen. Now go over to verse 6 of chapter 34, excuse me, 34, 6. 34, 5 says, Now the Lord descended in the cloud. Verse 36, it says, And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord, God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering, abounding in goodness and truth keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, by no means clearing the guilty. Watch the love and the truth. By no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children to the third and fourth generation. So Moses made haste and bowed his head toward the earth and worshiped. Then he said, if now I found grace in your sight, O Lord, let my Lord, I pray, go among us, even though we are a stiff-necked people and pardon our iniquity and our sin and take us as your inheritance. Watch this. God descends. And the Bible says that there's a, a crack in the cliff, in the rock. And God says to me, there's going to be a place when I pass by where there's a rock. And I'm going to, I'm going to pick you up. And I'm going to put you into that crack. And then as I pass by with my presence, I'm going to cover you with my hand. Moses, like all of us, has a sinful nature. All have sinned and fall. The presence of God, God has to ex execute justice. God cannot overlook transgression. He's a God of righteousness and a God of justice. God has to judge sin. But because Moses has asked for glory, God says, I'll show you one tiny sliver. I'll show you one facet. I'll show you my, I'll make my goodness pass before you. 
And in my goodness, as my goodness comes by, there's a place by me that you'll stand on the rock and I'll push you into the cliff, into the cleft. And then I'll cover you with my hand and I'll protect you from my presence so that you can still see and experience my glory. And as I pass by, once I've passed, I'll remove my hand and you'll be able to look out and you'll see my back. The Bible says that Moses came down and for the next year, his face shone. And all he saw was just a piece of God's back and his face had a shine, had a glow about him. That rock is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the rock. The covering is the blood of Jesus on the cross. Jesus hung on the cross so that you and I could have a covering so we could enter into the glory of God, that we could enter into the presence of God, that we could experience the presence of God. One of the most powerful pictures is the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant was whenever Israel would go into battle, the priests would pick up the Ark and they would carry it into battle. This was the Ark that parted the Jordan River. This was the ark that, that, that saw God break out and do miracles. This, this is the ark. Well, the Bible says in 1 Samuel that this same ark was captured by the Philistines. This is the ark where Uzzah reached out his hand to steady the ark and was struck dead. He was struck dead because even the priests wouldn't touch the ark. They would pick it up by the poles. But Uzzah thought that, ah, well, the oxen are stumbling. I can reach out my hand and sinful man dare reach out and touch the glory of God. He was, the Bible says he was struck dead for his transgression. They then take that ark and they put it in the house of Obed-Edom. And the presence of God in Obed-Edom's house, everything gets blessed. David realizes I want God's presence. But God's presence that brings blessing is also judgment. Because the Philistines capture the ark of God. They defeat Israel in battle. Israel has a, has a wicked priest called Eli's sons. Uh, Hophnius and Phinehas are, are off the chain. Eli's backslidden. They lose in battle and they steal the ark. And now they think, ah, we've captured Israel's power. We've captured their power box. We're going to make this power box serve us. We'll be invincible. So what do they do with it? They take that power box and they drop it off in their temple, the temple of Dagon. And so there's Dagon there. there. It's kind of, he's like a fish man statue and he's kind of standing there all robust. And, uh, and then they put the ark of God. This is, and they set the ark in front of Dagon. And, you know, I can just see them just uh, as they're leaving, turning the lights out saying, Dagon, uh, this is the Lord God, Lord God, Dagon. Uh, you just get along. Just make friends. Well, they, shut the, they come in the next morning and the Bible says there is Dagon fallen on his face. Because the Bible says every knee will bow, every tongue in heaven and on earth. He's fallen on his face. So the Bible says they have to, they have to sit, they have to get Dagon, they have to got these cranes and they've got to lift Dagon back up. If you have to lift your God up, if you have to protect your God, is he really God? If you've got to execute people and put fatwas on their head for drawing caricatures of, is he, somehow, I think, if you have to manufacture and you have to, God is, he don't need no protection. He don't need no propping up. If you have to prop up your God, he's not God. So they, they prop up their God. And they're like, behave. 
goodness gracious. So they, they leave. The next morning they come in. This time Dagon isn't just on his face. The Bible says Dagon had fallen a second time. And this time his hands and his head had broken off so that the Philistines would no longer step on the threshold. His hands is his power and his head is his wisdom and intellect has crumbled before the Lord God. But while that happened, the Bible says, because the Philistines have no atonement, Israel had weekly offerings of lambs, of oxen, of sheep, of, of goats for their sins. It, the Philistines had no atonement for their sins. The Bible says because the ark was in the land of Gath, in the land of Ekron, in the land of the Philistines, that God began to break out on the Philistines with judgments of boils and tumors. And there was a plague that hit. So the people were dying and they're like, get rid of this box, get rid of this box, send it back. So they put it on milk cows and they send it back to Israel because Israel could handle the presence because they had atonement. I say all of that to say this, that the God that you and I serve is a God of love and mercy, but he's also a God of truth. He's also a God of truth. And it's very, very important because God in his love will forgive you for your sin. He'll forgive you. However, the consequence is still there. If you have sex outside of marriage, God can forgive you. But the, the STD... That's a consequence. You can commit adultery. God will forgive you, but you violated a covenant. You violated them and you may have to deal with it. You can rob a bank and God will forgive you, but you may end up doing time because of consequence. The problem is we've so been preaching a woke gospel that we, we lie to people and we say that God is all loving and that there are no consequences. That God is all love and he is no truth. There is no truth. There is no. God is a God of righteousness. God is a God of justice. God is a God of holiness. The greatest thing we can do is we can teach people the law of the Lord. The Bible says the law of the Lord is life. The law of the Lord is blessing. When, when I know his laws, when I walk in his ways, blessings come upon my life. St. Augustine said this. He says, where can a man go if he was to run from God? Can a man really run from God? He says, no. He says, all a human being can succeed in doing is run from God's pleasure straight into God's wrath but you can't run away from God. I'm not sure where you're at tonight, but I want you to have a biblical theophany. I want you to understand that God is a God of love, but he's a God of truth. See, love gathers. Without love, if, if we're just, you know, those street preachers, you're going to hell. It's like, man, has that ever converted anybody? Because there's no love. Love gathers, but truth unravels. Jesus says, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Discipleship is us in love for you, concerned for your welfare, for your future, for your destiny, for the purposes of God in your life. Tell you the truth. That's what discipleship is. And we, we try to teach all of our pastors, and Leanne and I try and model it as best that we can, to be an alchemist. Some people, they need a lot of love and just a little bit of truth. It was like that with our little Tommy. Our little Tommy, I think in his whole 20 years of life on this planet, I think I've spanked him once. 
you, you didn't have to. You just had to say, what did you do? Do I need to go? And he had already, he was already crying, already repented. Our eldest son, oh, a different story. Different story. My gosh, we broke some wooden spoons on his backside. He was, there are some people you need a lot of truth and a little bit of love, but you can't have only truth and you can't have only love. Mercy and truth go before him. When God comes, when God's presence comes, you'll find that there is mercy, there's love in his presence, but there's also truth. When Jesus hung on the cross, see, the Bible says that, that in Jesus, the glory of God was veiled by his humanity. But Jesus' glory came among us. And the rock that, that, that Exodus spoke, spoke, speaks of is Jesus Christ. He's that rock. He's the rock. He's the covering. He died on the cross so that all the sins that you and I have committed that would disqualify us from the presence of God, Jesus took upon himself. See, the moment Adam sinned, when Adam sinned, when he took the forbidden fruit, disobeyed God, God's judgment came. But God is smarter than the devil. See, the devil thought that he tricked God. He thought by putting sin into man, he would stab the very, very heart of God and wound him so deeply that now the apple of God's eye, the affection of God's heart, mankind, God, you now have to kill them because of sin. So what God did was God created time. God created time. And he says, I'm going to put enmity between your seed and her seed. Oh, you'll bruise his heel, but the heel you bruise will crush your head. And so the very moment Adam sinned, the bullet of God's judgment came from God's gun. But God put a thing called time in motion. So that as the bullet traveled, Adam, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, David, and then all of a sudden Jesus, son of David. Have mercy on me. Jesus, son of David. And by the time of Jesus, the bullet came to God who had entered into the womb of a virgin, was born in human flesh. God became a man to take the punishment for your sin and my sin upon himself so that the truth that disqualifies us from everlasting life, that disqualifies us from God's blessing, that disqualifies us from, from experiencing God's... The truth Jesus was crucified for so that you and I could experience his love, that you and I could experience everlasting life, that you and I could experience his glory, his forgiveness, his loving kindness, his mercy, his power, his blessing, his favor. Jesus hung on the cross. He took the full wrath of God so that you and I could be free. God is mercy and truth. Come on, if you receive that today, give God a praise. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Would you close your eyes? I'm way over time. If you're here tonight and you've never surrendered to this God, friend, tonight is your night. Maybe you've never heard a message like this. Friend, we're not here to condemn anyone. If you're condemned, the Bible says that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Condemnation is just truth 
without an understanding of his love. That yes, I have sinned and I deserve death. However, the good news is Jesus came and he bore my sin. Not only did he bear my sin, but he took all the judgment of God on that cross so that I could be forgiven, that I could be free. If you're here tonight and you're saying, I need to be forgiven, man. Maybe you've heard the woke gospel. Hey, it doesn't matter what you do. And, it, you know, God just loves you. Absolutely, God loves you. But he loves you too much to leave you the way that he finds you. God found me on a beach, but I was a mess on legs. And you had to say, Jürgen, that's not good. Jürgen, you can't have sex till you get married. Jürgen, you've got to stop that. Jürgen, if you keep lying, no one's going to listen to you. No one's going to trust you. You're stealing from your, your company. There was, he, there was one after. It wasn't because he was a spoil sport. It was because he loved me. Wanted the best for me. Maybe you're here tonight. You need a second chance, a third chance. Wherever you are tonight, if you know, hey, I need to respond to Jesus, I need to receive Jesus, I need forgiveness, I need to be born again, I need to make Jesus my Lord and Savior. While every head is bowed, if you are closed, would you lift your hand? I'm going to see your hand. I'm going to pray for you. That's it. Just lift it high. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Who else is there? Lift it high. Thank you through there, darling. Thank you. Who else is there? Thank you through there. Who else? Thank you, sir. Thank you, sweetheart. Thank you, darling. Thank you. Who else is there? Thank you on the side. Thank you. Who else is there? Would you raise your hand and say, Pastor, that's me. Pastor, that's me. Thank you, sweetheart. I'm so proud of you. Anybody else? Thank you over there. Thank you over there. I see that hand. Thank you up there. I see that hand. Anybody else? Anybody else? Thank you. Anybody else? Thank you. Anybody else? Thank you on the side. Anybody else? Anybody else? Church, why don't we stand to our feet? Why don't we stand to our feet? In just a moment, we're going to have the, the ministry team. Now, listen, here's the beautiful thing about church is Neither John nor Becky, the Ratowskis, the Fullers, the Irvins, none of us on the front row believe that it's possible to live a sinless life. We know that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There are none righteous, no, not one. So church isn't a hotel for saints, it's a hospital for sinners. That, that in this place, you'll find that our preaching is not something that is unattainable. We try to preach transparent. We try to preach real. We try to preach from our humanity and our struggles with the, the, the great struggle of God's divinity and God's blessing and God's goodness. His undeserved mercy and favor. And so we do that so that the altar can always be filled. If you're ever struggling in a sin, don't run from God. Run to if you ever overtaken, the Bible says, if anyone is overtaken by a transgression, let those who are mature among you restore such a person. Maturity in a church is the ability to restore someone who is overtaken in a transgression. The altar is here not for the righteous. It's for when we struggle. And all of us will struggle at sometimes. All of us will battle at sometimes. The Bible says we wrestle not. In a wrestle, one minute you're on top, the next minute you're pinned and you're on the... We're all going to wrestle. If you're pinned... Come, the ministry team is going to pray for you. Come and get some prayer. Don't walk out the same way you walked in. We only know how to do real. We only know how to do real. Amen. But you know, those of you that raise your hands, we want to, we want to pray with you. We want to give you a Bible. 
Uh, we also want to give you a following Jesus book. If you raise your hand just now, would you do something for me? Would you grab a friend, maybe someone that you, you're standing next to or brought you to, to church? Or if you brought someone that raised their hand, would you offer to walk with them? Would you find the aisle nearest and just come and stand down here? Because I want to say a prayer with you. I want to pray for you. If you brought someone, would you bring them? If you raise your hand and you're by yourself, would you come? If you would have raised your hand knowing we were giving away Bibles, I want you to come. But can we put our hands together for these beautiful people as they come up the back and on the side? Sir, ma'am, just begin to come. Yes, yes, yes. Come on. Let's put our hands together as they come. There is healing. That's the power that I claim. It's the same that rolled the grave. There's no power like the mighty name of Jesus. That's the power of your mighty name of Jesus. That's the power of your mighty Come on, can we do one more great round of applause for these beautiful people? Hallelujah. 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 Man, I've, I'm telling you, I can feel the anointing in here. I can feel the presence of God. God is touching. I just hear the words turn around. Everything's going to turn around. Everything's about to turn around. It, it looks like life was and your world was heading in the wrong direction. God is a great God at turning things around. And I see God turning things around that need to be turned around the right way. They're going to start facing the right way. Things are going to start looking the right way up. He's a turnaround God. Hallelujah. Come on. Yeah, God bless you, darling. Come on. Come on. Amen. Amen. Come on. Let's all say these words with these beautiful people. Say these words out loud. Say, Dear Heavenly Father. I want to thank you tonight that you so love me. You sent Jesus, your only son, to die on the cross in my place. Lord Jesus, thank you. You took all the pen penalty and all the punishment my sins deserved so that today I can be forgiven. I can be free. I can, I can be delivered from all the power of the enemy. I declare today, heaven is my home. God is my father. I am his child. From this moment forward, in Jesus' mighty name, amen. Thanks for listening. To find out more about our locations, team, and what we do here at Awakened Church, go to awakenedchurch.com.